We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 496 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, he's Levon, a.k.a. Barcelev, and just like last season, a season where FC Barcelona won the league up by 10 points, the domestic campaign begins with a 0-0 draw with a team from the Madrid area. Feels like deja vu, just like last year. Last season, it was Raya Vallecano. This year, it was Hidafe. And it's tough, Levon. The panic button is sitting right there. I mean, you and I are on social media. The panic button is right there. But I know not all of us are obviously going to press it, right away for that quick doom clout that you can get on social media. You know, you hit the button, you get all that, that good clout for being negative. But I know neither of you or I are hitting, are hitting that button. But we are instead, with the nature of a 0-0 draw, we're going to play a little game of overreaction, underreaction today after the Adafe match because I saw plenty of everything from that <laughs> match. Are you ready to play the game, Levon? Yeah, man, bring it on. All right, so I think we can even start from front to back, back to front. I don't know, regardless of where you want to start. I actually think we begin with, not to say the excuses, this is a Barcelona podcast, so a lot of people listening to our Kool-Aids. And if you're not a Kool-Aid, well, then I guess skip to like the 10-minute mark because we're going to start with overreaction, underreaction to the refereeing and how that performance, as in the performance by the referee in, in Cesar Sotograto and his performance with refereeing, the existence of VAR and we'll say the lack of use of VAR on on off the ball incidents, things like that. Are you overreacting or underreacting to the idea that refereeing in the Liga is not necessarily conspiratorial because that has existed for 80 years in the Liga in Spain, but that it's just bad, that it's not even like conspiratorial towards Madrid, that it's just flat out bad and needs to improve? Can I say both? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think that you know uh, there there is more. Not that Madrid never gets like uh, bad calls that go against them, and I think in the VAR era, at least the last two seasons, Madrid was uh, treated uh, fairly, as in they they called things fairly in Madrid games in the last two seasons. But I do think that even referees who are not intrinsically biased towards Madrid because they were fans of Madrid when they were a kid or whatnot, the backlash that they get for for either 
a controversial call against Madrid or a controversial call in favor of Barcelona is a lot higher because that is on a national institutional level that they receive that pressure. Right. Uh, and, and that pressure can can translate into uh, getting called up for less matches, which in turn translates in their financial well-being. So when you see a game like Getafe, where, I don't know, Getafe should have gotten at least five yellow cards before, before Rafinha lost his head, where Damian Suarez elbowed Gundogan quite hard in what's the area called the plexus? What's the area like? The solar plexus. The solar plexus area. If you hit somebody, you can the guy cannot breathe, right? Mm-hmm. That that part. He held him really hard there, and that could have easily been a red card. VAR could have easily intervened. And most most of all, where you know, after 115 minutes of football, we get a clear penalty because there's no way that was a handball of Gavi. Even if it were a handball, it would have been volu- uh, involuntary. Wait, can we, can we get in that? Because I, I like I because I, I agree with the point. Like there was there was multiple things there, and I'm I'm I my thinking and how I like ABC'd it through the refereeing's decision. My thinking is that to that point, I think it was inconclusive whether or not it was a handball on Gabi. I don't think if it was to set the scene, if that was just the call, if it was on the other side and Gabi was defending and they didn't call a penalty on that handball on Gabi and and Barcelona's defending, I don't think that gets overturned to be a penalty. So my thinking was that the the kick on Araujo 100% is a penalty, but because it was not initially called a penalty on the field, that the referee said I can, it is inconclusive whether Gabi's is a handball or not. And because that was inconclusive leading up to the definite penalty, that we cannot... Again, because the Gabi part is inclusive, that is not enough to overturn the fact that Araujo was kicked and that it is a penalty. And I know, no, no, listen, listen, I know it sounds convoluted, but that was the only way that logically I could think through that that makes sense to me, that they could not overturn it because it was not definite that it was not a penalty. I mean, a handball on Gabi, like the question of whether or not it was a handball on Gabi meant that it could not be overturned to be a penalty for Araujo. That's, again, but, but, my only logical reason as to why that was not a penalty. No, but VAR intervened because Araujo got kicked, not because Gavi may or may not have handled the ball. Yeah, but that's um, what they were looking at. They were looking at the Gavi so, handball. So you're saying that you think the referee... No, they, no, they, the they, 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 they looked at both, because first the referee um, looked at uh, Araujo getting kicked. Which is 100% that was, first, that, that, that was the first thing that, uh, that they showed him on the VAR. And the, the, the other thing here is that it was a foul on Gavi. So we should have gotten the penalty regardless because mm-hmm. Gavi got fouled and then Araujo got fouled. And for some reason, we don't get a penalty because Gavi may have touched the ball with his arm while a defender was dragging him down. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, yeah, that's, it's, ridic- that's it, I mean, it's ridiculous. Logically it's, work through what the ref- why the referee wouldn't have given him a penalty. It's case. ridiculous. Now, if this is because the guy expects brownie points of uh, Florentino Perez or because he's afraid to call a penalty for Barcelona after 115 minutes of football, I don't know. But it was like it was outrageous. It was outrageous. And, and this after a match in which uh, Getafe can play however they want to play. I never complain about how Getafe plays, just like I never pl- complained about how, how Atleti plays. But it's a referee. That needs 
that needs to intervene and say, well, you know, I'm sorry if you keep throwing people onto the floor, even when the ball is nowhere near, you're going to get yellow cards for this. Yeah. I guess that's the referee's job. It's not Getafe's job to to be a perfect gentleman uh, or play like perfect gentleman against against a team with a budget that is 10 times bigger than their budget. I mean, he did he did finally put his foot down. Damien Suarez, podcast favorite Damien Suarez, did get his yellow in the 82nd. So he did sure. finally dole out some justice in the 82nd minute on a guy that had earned three or four yellows prior to that point. Exactly. So, I'm, and so back to that point, like, you know, because the referees at halftime, they, they do get together uh, and they do discuss how the match has, has developed. So I'm, I'm sure that the VAR referees will, will tell um, uh, Soto Grado at halftime, look, Getafe are doing everything that God forbid, but we cannot intervene because they are not red card fouls. Most of them are yellow fouls, but they are con- they are constantly pushing and pulling and elbowing people to the ground. So the referees know what kind of match it is, and then uh, you know because I can kind of appreciate that it's these kind of fouls are difficult to catch as a referee when you're the one running uh, mm-hmm. running up and down and. Usually your eyes are on on where the ball is, and Getafe makes those fouls when the referee is not watching most times. But but at the very least, if you know that this is the scenario that we find ourselves in, at the very least, when there is a VAR intervention, don't be ridiculous. Just call the penalty when it is a stone cold penalty. In, in adding insult to injury, it's it's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, a lot was added to that game, too. It was the longest game in the Liga since the 2007-08 season. The total time of the game was 115 minutes and 54 seconds. The actual play time was only 60 minutes and 49 seconds in terms of stoppages. And what's more incredible about that match as well, with the 07, going back to the 07-08 season, the last time and most of the other times that more than 110 minutes have been added in Liga history, it's because either an ambulance has had to come on the field or is there, there's been some kind of huge stoppage of play based on a cataclysmic injury that has caused a huge stoppage. And there was no such injury in that game, which is, makes it somehow even more absurd as if that game just had all that extra time added just because of the gamesmanship of it, which, yeah, it, it, it's incredible. Okay, we're going to go to individual players or people now. Looking at Lewandowski first, because after that match, and I think you know how it, how it always is, right? When the ball starts rolling about a player's performance, positive or negative, that ball seems to roll down that hill faster and faster and faster. In the case of Lewandowski, I think you and I have kind of held the line. It's like, I mean, you can look at individual games. And to me, my only frustration with Lewandowski and why I'm going to start this by saying I'm underrating how done and dusted Lewandowski is and his time at Barcelona is over. He's going to be inflated costly for the next three years. That's all I'm saying. I'm saying that Lewandowski, what he shouldn't have done and why I criticize him is because just like Rafinha, he lost his head in a way that like he just, I know they were kicking the living daylights at him and the ref didn't do his job. Sure. But like Lewandowski was taken out of that game mentally. It felt like, like by Hadafe and the same thing with Rafinha. It's just like, they just seem to be taken out of the game and you've just, you've got to be able to just kind of deal with that. Like, I know you're getting elbowed and kicked and knocked down, but Lewandowski was kicking back too. So it's like, well, if you got your receipt back and you kick them back, now you've got to be even Stevens and, and get, and get back after it. It just, it just felt like Lewandowski lost his head in the first half and never really recovered from that. And uh, yeah, it just like can't happen, but I'm underreacting to the idea that he's not going to score 
25 to 30 goals a season. Like that, that's, it's crazy to say that like Lewandowski is a, a full step and a half back. I mean, I know he struggled and you and I talked about it last year after the world cup, but he's not been the same, but he also had that back injury and he said he's recovered from that. So we have to believe him. And I just think that, yeah, it, he started the same way against Ryavar kind of last year. He started the preseason last year scoring what one goal in five games. Like I'm, I'm not going to go crazy about Lewandowski not scoring against Adafe when he lost his head. So I'm underreacting to the idea of Lewandowski being uh need to, well, e- even the case to throw to you, like people asking whether or not Xavi should just start by like benching him by, by substituting Ferran Torres and for him in the very next game to send a message. Like, again, I also underrate that idea. Lewandowski. Um, starting. Yeah. I don't know about doing it in the very next, uh, next match. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. How many struggles does Lewandowski have to have before Ferran Torres is, is starting then? Like, you know, we're not at training sessions, so it's difficult to say. Imagine that during trainings, either Ansu or Ferran consistently light it up. Then what do you do as a manager, right? Um, Lewandowski is the man, but maybe after two, three matches in under the guise of, hey, rotation, you give somebody else a shot at number nine. I personally love rotation. I think we have a, a huge squad. We have a lot of talent in a lot of uh, uh, positions. The central defenders will get rotated. Like, you know, would anybody be surprised if uh, the next match we have four four defenders who are not Araujo, Kunde, uh, Christos and Balde? No. The same in midfield. Would anybody surprised uh, be surprised if uh, the midfield gets rotated uh, the next match or the third match? No. So why would it be different for Lewandowski, especially if he's playing poorly? And let's say other attackers who can play, play centrally are training really, really well. And then the question comes, hey, what do you do if... Imagine you put Ferran there uh, in the third match and he scores a brace. Then you have a problem because then what are you going to do the fourth match? Yeah, I mean, and, and I think there's a little bit of an overreaction too to like the idea that, I mean, to me... Him on the field, not to say that I'm not as concerned, 
but I'm less concerned about him on the field and struggling on the field of Ving Lewandowski than I am about his, I've talked about before on the podcast, about his contract. Like, there, he's owed a lot of money in the next three years with, again, that last year, as you and I have talked about before, being partially incentivized. And so, like, if he really has fallen off that cliff, that fourth year isn't as ugly as, as it looks like on paper if he hits Well, the fourth year is optional. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So... Yeah, and 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 I also I also heard that the, the I also heard that the third year is not fully optional, but we can choose to maybe like pay half a salary and and cut him loose or hmm. something like that. An early uh, but, yeah. Yeah, but well, but the other thing, and this is uh, you know I'm, I don't want to jump the gun here, but imagine that he loses his starting spot this season. Then next summer, is he going to want to play a backup role for Barcelona or? Is he going to go to, uh, you know, a country with very sandy beaches and even more sandy uh, interior of the country? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Join his friend Neymar and uh, some, some of the other guys. Were there. All of them. <laughs> Everybody from the Premier League. But uh, yeah, and I think to, to, the, the other pushback and the other underreaction is like the idea that Barcelona isn't prepared for this. Like, again, financially, they might not be prepared for Lewandowski to fall off a cliff in the next, what is it, year and a half. But... They went out and they they spent the money on Vita Roque. Like, I, I mean, I was trying to think back. Like, when was the last time Barcelona really did like earmark a young number nine and and spend huge money on him and say we're gonna this is gonna be our number nine that we're trusting financially for the future? And that guy is coming in January. So like, this idea that like Lewandowski falling off a cliff is gonna kill Barcelona is like no, like financially that risk on on Vita Roque is just as risky as Lewandowski. Like, if Vita Roque doesn't pan out. Of course, they're going to have to eat like that huge transfer cost, as opposed to if Lewandowski, like, what is he expected to give you? I, I would expect some kind of goal scoring regression, but in the same way as we talked about in predictions, you'd hope that that means Ansu is scoring more. You'd hope that Ferran Torres is scoring more. You hope that Vita Roque in January, if he contributes seven goals, eight goals in the second half of the season, you're hoping that Barcelona, especially if they're playing with high, two high interiors from Pedri and, and especially with Gunawan, almost had double-digit goals for Man City last year. So you are expecting you're getting more goal scoring from different spots of the field this year, despite Lewandowski. So it's like not to prepare for his decline, but you're expecting your team to be scoring in different ways this year. Yeah, of course, we also lost Ousmane. He only had six so, goals. Or like, what, what, he, he had, yeah, he had like six and, was it six and eight last year? Six goals, eight assists. So it's like, I don't think they were really, structurally, they were, they were relying on him to create goals. I don't think Xavi really counted more than five goals from him in anticipation of his season. No, but he creates a lot of space regardless. Sure. That's what I'm saying. Like he creates goals. So uh yeah, he he has like four or five key passes per game almost. Mm -hmm. And he consistently creates space because he draws at least two defenders whenever he gets the ball. So yeah, let's see how this pans out. I mean it's a very weird season where or a very weird summer. Where you know they just cannot seem to shut up about moving out Ansu, because yeah. if you're talking about scoring goals, Ansu is a very good finisher, and he's ours. Like you know he he's been at the club since what since he was nine, or since mm -hmm. he was twelve. Yeah. So I I really don't understand all all, all the noise about um, getting rid of Ansu and uh, Victor Roque. Like honestly, a lot of people are very excited. People are saying that Lewandowski will uh, lose his uh, starting spot to Vitor Roque when he comes, uh, when he joins us from Brazil. And who knows, it might, you know, he, he might arrive and play very well from, from the start. But 
at the same time, he's, uh, I think he's 18. He's a 19-year-old uh, kid who, who has never played in Europe. And we don't know if he's going to succeed or not. No, yeah, you're right. He's on 19 until February. But yeah, so I, I think, again, that's what I was saying to you about the Vita Roque part of it. That like, it's almost unprecedented for Barcelona to bring in an 18-year-old guy to say, okay, you're going to be the number nine of the future. Like that just, it doesn't happen historically for this club. Like they get players for their number nine who are in their prime already, 24, 25, 26, 27. Mm-hmm. Like that is their sweet spot for when they go out and spend big money. And, and he they yeah, didn't pay but- out this money for him, but they got him at a, an affordable cost at this point because they couldn't get him later because he's, he was going to go somewhere else. And then his, his salary would be too high because right now, exactly. again, the, the, the market has changed, right? Look at what Madrid mm-hmm. paid for Vinicius when he was 16, what they paid for Kendrick when he was, Kendrick was 15 still when Madrid signed him for 40 million. I mean, look what they just paid for Endrick, who's 16. Uh, uh, Endrick, not Kendrick, Endrick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's 16. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, and Rodrigo was also very young when they signed him. So that that is that is the price now. And if you want those Brazilian talents, you know, when when they're 18, 16, 17, that's when that's when you move. I don't like it. I think uh, I think it sucks for for Brazilian football. It's a disaster for Brazilian football. In fact, all those uh, all those kids leaving so young. But uh, yeah, this is this is the the market in which we move. All right. Well, let's 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 move back to fit a little bit with this uh, underreaction overreaction thing. Right. I kind of combine Xavi's game plan or Xavi's system. I don't know. Which one do you want to do first? Xavi or do you want to try to separate that idea from, from Pedri and, and Gunnar in, in midfield? Whatever you want, though. Okay. Well, then we're going to do Pedri and, 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 uh, and the G-Man before we really we delve into Xavi. Because I think all that's connected, too. The G-Man. I like it. Are you overreacting <laughs> or underreacting? Well, that's because I always say it wrong. Are you overreacting or underreacting to the slow start from, from Gunnar and the not say slow start from Pedri, but even through preseason, like we have not seen too much of Pedri, even against Hadafe, the last like 10 minutes before he came off the field, things were starting to happen. Things were starting to work. He was in better spots. He was kind of finding the game, but it took him about 60 minutes to find the game. And again, it was against Hadafe, very physical. They were playing five and sometimes six at the back. Everything was congested in the middle of the park. Not a lot of room for him to work. And not, he, I mean, obviously, when they went down to 10 men, a lot of the time that Pedri was on the field, they were down a man as well. So are you, I'm kind of like hedging my bet there for you, but are you overreacting or underreacting to the slow starts from Xavi's two high interiors? And you can connect this to Xavi playing a, well, four midfielders. I'm not calling it a box four. I'm not like married to that idea because, again, it still does operate as what we keep talking about, a three, two, two, three. That's how it continues to operate. So I'm not calling it. You know, the, a box midfield, that's not the way it is. Baldi's on the left there. But are you under, yeah, overreacting or underreacting to the midfield play so far from those two high interiors in a system that Xavi seems married to? Yeah, so if you're going to play on a potato, if you're going to play a rugby match on a potato field, play Gavi. I, I don't, his back's not fit yet. That was the problem. I think that he would have started. I agree. I think, I, I think he would have started if his back was fit, 100%. But he only played one preseason match. True, but he started that preseason, uh, his last preseason match, though, didn't he? Yeah, but he only played forty-five minutes. And they, and they pulled him. Mm, okay, so. okay, okay, okay. I, I, so, my, my okay, so like that eighty-five percent fit. That's why I didn't start. That might be it. No, no, I, I, I don't think this is a good match to to judge uh, judge them by. You know, the they still need to get used to each other. I don't know that 
that I would play Gundawan in in that false left winger role, in which he started to to complete that box. And I don't know that this was uh, the best lineup uh, for for Getafe. I don't quite understand why Xavi insists with always playing with that box midfield. I think I think there are matches where uh, it'd be nice to see three uh, three forwards. I've also asked myself, you know, because Lewandowski, Lewandowski's form has dipped together with that switch to mm-hmm. uh, to the four-man midfield. It is interesting, yeah. So this this might also be impacting Lewandowski's performances because when we changed, it was because in big matches, Xavi felt that he needed a bit more control. But the first half of last season, I think we we had more points than the second half of last season. And the first half of last season, we mostly played with three forwards. So I'm rather than judging how Perry or Gundogan, uh, Gundogan played in that midfield uh, in their first official game together uh, on a poor pitch uh, versus a team that was not playing according to the rules, or at least versus an ar- versus versus a referee that was not playing according to the rules. Mm-hmm. It's more the it, it's more the uh, four man midfield that I have doubts on. Well, to, to, to continue to speak about that midfield, are you overreacting or underreacting to what I would call a really good start from Oro Romeu in his time at Barcelona? Besides that first match versus uh, Arsenal, in which I think we were terrible, Uriel has been quite good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I'm pleasantly yeah, surprised. I mean, I think, well, I think the one thing that he doesn't do, or the thing that he doesn't do, leads me to my next overreaction, and it's that there is an issue to me, and I'm going to overreact to this, there is an issue to me with the Kunde Araujo and even when Cancelo arrives situation. Because as I keep saying and reiterating, I know people want Fresneda and Ana Martinez, and I would love if Barcelona went out and bought those players. But, and this is a big but, like you know that even if they were starting in a, in a normal team or regular team, with Christensen and Inigo Martinez and Kunde and Araujo, with those four center backs, you cannot tell me that Xavi is going to consistently start Fresneda or Ana Martinez over Kunde or Araujo at right back with Christensen and the other one of the two or Inigo Martinez at center back. Like It's just like depth chart wise. There's no way he's going to put the teenage or the 20-year-olds in case of Arnau in for regular consistent starts. And so this year, Xavi's saying, well, who will I trust on a Champions League night? Who is going to actually change my team enough that I will start them and sit Christensen on the regular in some kind of gala 11 against Bayern Munich or Man City or whoever. And Cancelo is an answer to that question. Again, like I, I know you refute it because of the future potential. And people will talk themselves into and believe that Arnau and Fresneda are ready for those moments and prepared now. But again, like Fresneda is still a teenager. And there's a teenager on the other side <laughs> playing left back who's certainly trusted and almost the exception to the rule. And the real question I have for Barcelona then is like, even if... They, so if they did take Frenzneda and just the Cancelo stuff broke down because Man City wants too much of an obligation clause in there. And they ask for 70 million as the obligation clause and Barcelona have to hang up the phone. And then they immediately have to go out and <laughs> plead that Real Valladolid find the time to, to sell them Frenzneda because that would be what would happen in the next few days. But it seems like the, Cancelo the, is going to happen. Cancelo, but... The Cancelo talks have broken down now because I, I heard that he's going to come. I know. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like the only way that they would break down is if Man City pulled some kind of fast one and said, yeah, we actually want the obligation to buy to be like 70 or 80 million. Like that's the only way that these would break down at this point. So that's going to happen. Now, the reason what I'm overreacting to about that problem is that 
the Araujo Kunde situation right back in center back. People are like, okay, Kunde is playing right center back because Xavi wants him to be happy. But as I said, like in the five headlines, I don't think that's necessarily the case. I looked at that match and every match so far in the preseason. What Oro Romeo does not do that Busquets did. And I think the biggest thing is that Romeo does not hit those long balls or he doesn't squeeze and risk it in for tackles near the sidelines as well. And then ping a long ball to the opposite side and switch play. He doesn't do that. De Young is doing that more. Pedri is dropping a little bit deeper at times and doing that. Or why I thought Kunde was arguably the man of the match against Adafe, Kunde is the one doing that. And that is a skill, that long diagonal ball from the, that, the right deep part of the position for Barcelona. Ter Stegen does it straight to the middle, looking for Lewandowski. But that ball over to Balde, or in the second half, Abde, primarily was coming from Kunde. That's a ball uh-huh. that Araujo can hit uh-huh. occasionally. Uh-huh. hit a couple of them. He did. He did. He did. But I think, but I think that's the argument that Araujo can do it, and that's why he's still playing right back. It's, I mean, that, I mean, right? Yeah. I mean, that's why he's not off the field. But I think that Xavi's trusting Kunde to hit those balls against deep, low blocks. Like I think he's trusting Kunde a little bit there, more in the center of the field, to hit those balls to both sides more than he is Araujo in that same situation. So I would expect Araujo against almost any team against Real Sociedad, Real Betis, and Villarreal and Sevilla. I think Araujo is still that starting right center back. But I can see the argument as to why Kunde has been playing right center back because of his superior ability to play the ball that, that, than Araujo. And I think the minute Cancelo shows up, I mean, now Xavi's, not to say trusting Araujo to do that, but it's all flipped this year because Balde is now, not to say Dembele, but now that space is for Balde in behind on the left or Abde in behind on the left. And you don't, the, the necessity to Rafinha to the right is happening less than it is to Balde on the, the left. Like they're not expecting Balde to pick it up in his own half and then take it over in the way that they are for Rafinha. Like Rafinha is getting the ball in deeper positions than Balde is mm-hmm. for those long diagonal balls. So uh, that's my only thinking. Well, I, would, I, would, I would hope so because Rafinha is a forward and Balde is a left back. I mean, is he though? Like Balde is in again, this 3 2 2 3. He has defensive responsibilities, so does Rafinha. But in this, in this buildup, like, Balde is as, as heat map wise as, as good as a forward is in that position. Balde Until Abde came on. Until Abde came on. And I think it completely switched because they did move to a 4 3 3. And it all kind of got flipped that way. Balde tra- tracks back a lot more than Rafinha. Well, of course um, he does because he's a left back. And a lot deeper. So, whereas Rafinha won't come back as, as much. I, I have another theory here. I think uh, Araujo is a better right back than Kunde, especially the way that. He, he's been playing in uh, in the preseason and even yesterday against Getafe. I think Kunde was very underwhelming as a right back. Not necessarily his fault because he's not a right back. And Araujo, his build up play is a little bit underrated. He he hit some smart uh, smart passes versus Getafe and also uh, during preseason. He is also more of a threat when there's open space. Because with his uh, speed, he, he can absolutely take advantage of that. And he has shown this a bunch of times when he played right back where, where he just blasts past his defender. Uh, you know, he might not always have the final ball, but that threat is uh, a lot more pronounced than when Kunde plays there. So, you know, in, in the couple of games that Araujo uh, plays as a right back, he threatens more than Kunde the whole season. He's better, he's also a better center back than Kunde. I mean, look at the first five minutes in that Hadafe match. Latase gets in behind Kunde, and I don't think Araujo gets beat in the same way. 
And Kunde puts him off. And, but I mean, it was just way too close playing with fire, potentially a red. So I think we got to the bottom of it. Like, it's not a diss on Kunde. Like, I'm not trying to be negative on Kunde. Mm-hmm. It's fair that Ronald Araujo, one of your team captains, is just better at center back and better at right back. Like, that's how it, that's just how it is. Also, also, but I think the difference between uh, Araujo uh, at right back and Kunde at right back is bigger than the difference between Araujo at center back and Kunde at center back. O- also, taking Kunde's on the ball qualities into account from center back where he's a lot more comfortable bringing the ball up than than Araujo. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Okay, I know you're going to say underreacting here. I, I, It was a weird thing. I felt like there was a huge pushback on Xavi after this match, whether it was his comments. It felt like people were saying, hey, this guy is not accountable to bad results. He's not accountable to failing to break down Adafe. And I just felt like it was a weird start to the season. Like we know that the first few games, if you don't start well, there's a huge pushback, a huge overreaction. I take you back to 2008 and this guy named Pep Guardiola and the pushback after his six matches, first six matches in charge. Like you go back and it, it happens. And for Xavi, yeah, it just, I don't know. Like I know that you're going to say underreaction, but I, I want to hear why you un, you're underreacting to Xavi's comments after the match. Again, his lack of, I wouldn't call it lack of accountability, but it does always sound like, hey, here was the problem outside of our world, outside of Barcelona. Here was the problem with that match, as opposed to he, very rarely is Xavi like, truly critical of, um, of the project itself. Look, my only problem with Xavi is that he does not pr- protect uh, Ansu Fati. That, to me, is a bigger problem than any lineup or any game plan he can come up with. Because Ansu Fati is 20 years old and he can literally mark an error. So, for me, that is the only problem. Like, he should clearly say, hey, this guy is untouchable. As for the match, we haven't beaten Getafe away in the last four games. You know, people need to calm... Yeah, people need to calm down. You know, the, the league is not won or lost. In, in the first game, we all saw uh, how this game was refereed. We didn't play against Getafe. We played against uh, Soto Grado. With a bit of luck, we would have uh, won the game. Uh, I believe uh, Gundogan had an excellent chance to score. Apte came close. Ansu came close. We should have gotten a penalty at the end. A stone-cold penalty. Would a different lineup have, uh, or a different game plan have gotten us closer to a victory? Yeah possibly or not you know it's, yeah. it's football yeah if order scores in the first half adafe has no answers to score a goal like adafe had no had no ideas like there was nothing coming like they had two chances in the entire match one in the first half one in the second half yeah now working around the second half when barcelona were better but i mean i guess obviously the red card helped out and on that second yell click hard for a rough tackle on a row so 57th minute and then here came the subs as well. Abde on for Christensen at halftime. That was big. And then Ansu Fati and Gabi coming on for Pedri and, and Gunawin also helped the game in the 79th. And then Lamini Mall also coming on for Oromeu in the 76th minute was, was, was important. So I, the next two obviously are about Abde and Lamini Mall. You can, we can kind of do these together. I am overrating the idea that Abde should start matches yet or is like not still the sixth forward for me because as much of what Abde can do for you, and again, like we know exactly what he does provide, and he does provide it. There was a number of moments in that game against Adafe that we saw 
what has to change between Osasuna Abde, who really did break out and improve, and the Barcelona version of him. Because for, for Osasuna, that 75th minute miss the when he went wide off the feed from Pedri, those are moments where Hadafe, he had the green light. Like the, the, the change he made from before Hadafe, I mean, Osasuna rather, until after, was that he really did learn how to be the guy, how to take on players and be much more confident in creating some kind of finalized project, whether it was getting the ball on goal or finding a teammate in some way. And that part of his game was refined. But now coming back to Barcelona, he doesn't have that same green light. It's why Lewandowski went bananas on him and screamed at him. And it's why Lewandowski screamed to Ansu for the same reasons when Ansu blasted that one. And then Abde as well. He had one from like 35, 40 yards out somewhere in the 80 something minute. And those two moments like remind me that Abde still has to refine who he is at Barcelona because that was Osasuna Abde who was given the confidence, given the green light and expected to like kind of be the guy, one of the guys in their attack and be important to them. And now he has a different job, a different role, but he still wants to have the same confidence and use the same skills. I'm overrating the idea that Abde is put him on the team sheet. Great. I, I, like he still has a ways to go. And just because he has one or two really good dribbles, I am overrating the idea that like he's, let's say, ready for prime time. Like I think he still has a long way to go to refine his footing at Barcelona. He proved enough in the preseason, and that Arsenal game was a great example. There is a lot that Abde can provide to you, and I'm glad he stuck around. So I'm not overrating the idea that Abde should have got out on loan. I think he's very clearly one of the forwards for this team, and he's good enough to be a forward for FC Barcelona, which is a compliment. Like It's a lot to say you're good enough to be a forward for FC Barcelona, and I think he definitely has improved as a refined product, but I'm overrating the idea that, that Abde is like ready to be some kind of savior before Ferran Torres or Ansu Fati on that front line. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Right. I think I know Abde is more comfortable on the left, but I don't see him as a, a very good left forward when Balde is on the pitch because you need somebody who, who is more associative. You already have Balde for, for the dribbles. I mean, that was some uh, but, that ball landed but, in between them. In like the eighty, what was it the eighty second minute or something? Like yeah, but that, that I mean that that is that is more something that happens uh, when people don't play each other with each other and both of sure. them kind of think that they want they want to get it right. But just uh, just a profile and their 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 way of playing, I'm not sure how compatible they are. At at the same time, I I look at our team and I look at uh, up the skill set and I don't understand why he's not played on the right because he can take on people and then he can cross the ball to, to Lewandowski which seems to be more conducive than him on the left where uh, he does not really create space for for Baldi because he he does not really uh, play in between the lines and that pass and go that Ansu would have like Ansu and Baldi are greater than than the sum of the parts. Yeah, I think Ansu um, loses a little bit having to play a little more central. And what we've seen from Xavi, and we saw this all the way back in the days of Johan Cruyff, that when you have 
all of these attackers that have a bit of versatility to them. I mean, Ansu and Ferran Torres played most of their preseason minutes as, not to say number 10s, but basically as like secondary strikers in underneath where Abde was the actual left winger and Rafinha at times was still on the right wing and it was, or it was the other one. So like they were really playing as like these, these attacking midfielders when Barcelona know at the end of a game they're going to have 85 to 90% of possession and they're going to basically just be in the opponent's half. And Xavi kept putting on, oh, and for this instance, it was Lamine Yamal in the preseason and in that game playing on the right wing. And that's where Xavi won, and which is the next and maybe the final, depending on unless you have one or two. Maybe for me, at least, the final one to throw to you about overreactions and the reactions. Lamine Yamal start. And <laughs> as I say, I'm changing the bar a little bit for us because you and I are not overreacting to a 16 year old playing in a Liga. Like you and I are not the kind that overreact and call him the next whatever. Like that is not what I'm in the game of. That's what I've not ever been in the game of for people who've heard me on the show. I talk about the young players trying to figure out, yeah, when they're good and you recognize they're good. Lamini Mall, very good. Are you overreacting or underreacting? What kind of influence he could have on the first team this season? But here's the thing. For a 16-year-old to have any kind of influence is unbelievable. Just like it was unbelievable for Ansu to have an influence in his breakout, breakout season. Like Those kids are so good. They, they can mark an error. The only, the only thing that I'm concerned about regarding Lamin Yamal is uh, he'll probably sign his next contract, but it's only going to be a, a two-year or three-year contract until he's uh, 18, right? Will Barcelona be in a position two years from now in order to keep him? Or will the Premier League clubs or Paris Saint-Germain just say, hey, you know, we're going we're gonna to give this guy 15 million a year at 18 years old? I mean, his contract's up in June of 2024. So it would be, and and he just signed his first professional contract a month ago when he turned 16. Exactly. So it's June 2024. That's one year. Next, this coming summer. So yeah, I I think that's that's the big concern. Mm -hmm. Like the financial hole that we are in, this this kid breaking through right now just just means that the offers that he's going to... uh, uh, receive from from other clubs are, are going to be huge. Mm-hmm. So yeah, let's see, let's let's see what happens there. Um, and his father is yeah. Madridista. His father is a Madridista. Yeah, we. I mean, we say that, but I mean that only matters when money talks, <laughs> which is what you're saying. But in terms of him turning his back on Barcelona because of X Y Z reason, because his dad's a Madridista, like that. No, but no, well, but I mean, you know, if say Barcelona is going to say, well, you know, you're you're 18 years old. And uh, we're gonna give you five million per year because mm-hmm. uh, you know we cannot give more to to an eighteen year old right now. Maybe you know if somebody's from Masia and his families are diehard culés, they'd be over the moon. But if but if you're from a family who does not have a lifelong connection to the club, and in fact at home they support Madrid. Then you might say, well, instead of taking five million for Barca, I'm going to take fifteen million from Paris Saint Germain. Yeah, I mean, it's the difference between Xavi Simons and and Pedri. That's that's the difference between the two. I think Xavi Simons' uh, his path to the first team was not clear. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, he again, even the position he was playing was midfield, and good on PSG's youth academy to change him to more of an attacking midfielder kind of forward role, and that suited him. And then he blow up in Netherlands for PSV and it's worked out since. But in the case of Louis Nimal, I, I think 
even not thinking about him beyond this year, because I think that's where we get in trouble with that conversation, right? By like, what is he going to be? What it, what what you know, what's going to happen with him? And it's I find it difficult, honestly, to talk about him match to match or just to review just Hadafe, because again, against Hadafe, he was good. Like he was influential. He received that diagonal ball onto his left, and then he delivered that ball bouncing for a really good run in from behind in behind Ansu. It is challenging, right? When Christensen has a good game, I get to just say to you, Christensen was good against Hadafe. Full stop. We bracket it, parentheses, boom, we're done. <laughs> but when I, we used to talk about Lamini Mall was good against Adafe, now it's open-ended. There is no second parentheses. Like, he was good against Adafe, so that means that he is a future legend of the club? Does that mean that he's going to be a starter by April? Does that mean that he's going to re-sign? Does that mean we're in trouble with his... Con- like, you know what I mean? Like, it's so open-ended. Every time I just try to say he was good against Adafe. And I think it's going to be a challenge for me <laughs> and you and everyone else on this show over the next few months to be able to say, okay, what does Xavi need from, and when I say need, like what does he need from this 16-year-old right winger in the limited amount of time he is allowed to play because of his registration, by the way. So in the time that he's allowed to play, what does Xavi need from him? Did he provide that? And who is Lamine Mall at 16 for Barcelona? Because I think Ansu, you and I just learned it. Like the lesson is Ansu at 16 was an absolute joy. And I tell people, enjoy that ride. Ansu at 16 he can be whatever he was going to be and become in the next four years. And we were there for it. But at 16, it was just fun. It was enjoyable. And that 16-year-old gave Ernesto Valverde everything and more he needed from 16-year-old Ansu. And I say the same thing with Lamini Mall. Like, regardless of what he becomes, wherever he becomes it, I, he certainly has the potential to be even more than I... I'm overrating, to, to go back to finalize the game, I'm overrating the idea that Lamini Mall can actually be more helpful to Xavi than I even believed when the season began. I really thought that like, okay, if he makes eight performances or eight showings or off the bench, like that would be great for him. I could see him ending the season having started two games and having come off the bench in 12 to 15 to 18 games. Like I can see that yeah. being possible because of just how advanced and ready to go he is for the first team, regardless of what I, he is in the future. I mean, you know, we played Spurs and he was the best man on the pitch for those 20 exactly. minutes. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> just ridiculous. He was literally the best footballer on the pitch. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, no. This kid is special. Uh, and if injuries respect him, he will have an amazing future. I think the only concern is, can we keep him? Yeah. And and again, to that point, that is not Xavi's concern until as soon as next summer. Like, he's not signing any renewal, basically, until next summer at the earliest, because he just signed the contract a month ago. So for now, again, he just put pen to paper. So Xavi like, okay, great. <laughs> He's my player right now. And, and I'm going to do what I want with him. So unless you have one for me, that might wrap up the show. So do you got anything? No, that's a wrap, brother. <laughs> that is a wrap. Great. A great. Overreacting, underreacting to the end of the show. I'm underreacting. I think it was, it was time. It was time to call it a show. So follow him on Twitter, Barcelev everywhere. You're going to find him on Twitter, Instagram at the Barcelpod, Twitter for us, TikTok, Patreon, YouTube, you know where to find us. I do want to give some thank yous to people, listeners and watchers on the YouTube stuff and the match reviews. It's been nice for me to not have to set up the camera and go through it like when everybody knows my medical stuff this 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 fall, uh, coming up in the fall and winter, whatever. Like It's been nice to be able to just kind of get those out and get a little longer and then put those here on the podcast feed. And I think people respond to them well by listening and watching. And that tells me that people like them. So I do appreciate people kind of helping me figure out what the plan is for the foreseeable future right now as I continue to go through my stuff. So most importantly, though, thanks so much for listening to the show. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon in the fourth part. Bye.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.